Smoky Mountain Christian Camp is truly a great place for God to do amazing things. And over the 30 years or whatever I've been here, I've, got to, I've been able to watch students go through there. Many of them are now 40-year-old parents, and they still talk about the impact that camp had on them. So I encourage you, if you've got kids, sign them up for a week of camp. They'll love it. It's a great adventure, a lot of fun. And then if you don't, if you don't have kids, um, sponsor a kid. You, know, you can say, hey, I put it in the offering. and Just say, I'm, I want to send a kid to camp, you know, even if it's not my kid. Uh, that'd be great. The, as, a, as a church, we already, um, we already help fund the camp. So we, the money that you give ends up, part of it, going to the camp. It's one of our many missions. But we also encourage people to become a friend of the camp. You can do that by going on their website and just signing up to say, I'll give $10 a month, I'll give $15 a month, whatever that is, and be a friend of the camp, which is just a recurring gift that helps them continue to make that a great place for God to do amazing things. So we encourage you to do that, and you'll be impacting generations long into the future. Speaking of generations, we have been in a series called Kids These Days. And two weeks ago, Caleb unpacked the many generations that are all living together and interacting with one another and uh, kind of told us some of those differences and, and uh, helped us understand where each of those generations come from. Then last week, George took it and he talked about the importance of patience when we deal with other generations, whether you're young dealing with older people or you're old dealing with younger people or anywhere in between, we need patience. And so if you have not heard one of those two sermons, I encourage you, go online, listen to it. They're well worth your time. Um, good encouragement for how we should be living. So let me give you a list here. This list, it, various items that you can do. What is different? What, which one stands out? Which one is, uh, doesn't fit with the others? Which one of these is not like the other ones? I'll give you a hint. It is the only one in the state of Tennessee that does not require a license. You know that? Right there, boom, have children. Only one in the state of Tennessee that does not require a license. You may not have known that about some of those other things. It blows my mind that God has created us in such a way that without training, without a license, without anything, you can have a child and, and raise a child, right? That we would be responsible for another life. That's kind of mind-boggling to me. And I'm not advocating that there needs to be a license for childbearing or child-rearing. I'm not saying that. I'm just blown away by the responsibility we have with, without any training. And you're like, wow, this is really crazy. So true or false, tell me what you think about this statement. How to become a great parent isn't greatly apparent. How to become a great parent isn't greatly apparent. And typically, the answer you give depends on one factor, whether you're a parent, right? Because before I was a parent, I knew everything about being a great parent. I mean, I could look around and go, yep, that's not it. Yep, that's not it. Yeah, I can tell you how they should have done that. Yeah, I can tell you what parenting should look like. And then I brought home my first child and said, oh, my word, Where's the manual? Like, how do you, somebody's got to show me what I'm supposed to do here, right? And we just kind of fumble our way along trying to, trying to figure it out. So as, as, if you're here and you're 
parenting, if you're thinking someday you might parent, if you're filling in for a parent, maybe you're a grandparent, an aunt, uncle, filling in for a parent, maybe you're coming alongside a friend who's parenting and you're helping them, um, this is going to be a great opportunity for us to just take a look at the goal of parenting and what, what we can find to be the best goal for parenting. So, goal-wise, I, I hear people say, and you probably have heard people say, maybe you've even said this, you said, I just want my kids to be happy. That's all. I just want my kids to be happy. Isn't that sweet? That's just such a nice thing. But we know happiness is elusive, right? Happiness is like trying to hold on to a greased pig. I have no idea why you would want to hang on to a greased pig. But I don't even know why somebody would grease a pig. But apparently, apparently it's elusive, right? That you just can't do it. And that's what happiness is like, right? You might be happy for a moment, and then you're not. You get something that you, you want. You, you maybe meet somebody and, and, they, and they bring happiness for, for a moment, um, but the moment goes away, right? The, maybe, maybe it lasts a few minutes, maybe, maybe a couple hours, maybe a couple days, most likely not a year. You know, you're going to have ups and downs in that year, right, where you're not always happy. And if, we, if our goal is that we want our kids to be happy, the, the problem is we're going to fail at it. In, in fact, if our goal is raising happy kids, when our kids grow up, they won't be happy and neither will we, right? We just end up all unhappy, and that doesn't work. We need a better goal for parenting. So another goal that people have is what I would call a not goal. A not goal is figuring out what you don't want to do. So it goes something like this. I'm not going to parent like, and then we fill in the blank, right? Maybe it's the people who are sitting close to you in the restaurant with their young kids, like, acting all up, and you're like... I'm not going to parent like that. Man, I can't believe they can't control them. Or maybe it's in a theater or something like that. Maybe for you, you put in the blank the name of one of your parents or maybe both of your parents. I'm not going to parent like my parents parented. I'm not going to parent like my mom, like my dad, or whoever happened to be the one that maybe raised you. Might have been your grandparent. Might have been your aunt or uncle or whatever. I'm not going to parent like them. And so we have this not goal. But the problem with a not goal is it's not a goal, right? That's not, you're not aiming at something, you're aiming away from something. And when you aim away from something, what tends to happen is you swing the pendulum too far the other way. So you say, okay, my parents were overly strict, I'm not going to parent like that. And you become the parents that just let your kids do everything and, and you, don't, you don't work to try to discipline them, right? Or you say, man, when I was growing up, it was hard, man. We didn't have hardly anything. I never got to do what the other kids got to do. I'm going to make sure my kids have everything. And then you reap the consequences of that decision, right? You've swung the pendulum the other way. It's kind of like bowling, right? When you bowl, if you're always hitting it in the right lane every time, it just keeps, I'm in the right gutter, it just keeps falling in the right gutter. You're like, okay, I am going to make sure I don't hit the right gutter. Then what do you do? You hit the left gutter, right? That's, that's how it works, right? Instead of aiming, you're actually aiming away from something, and that doesn't do any of us any good. We need to make sure that it's not a not goal, but we actually have something to aim at. So what should our goal be for parenting? I can tell you this. If you're looking for great examples of parenting, don't look here. Don't look here. The Bible is full of dysfunctional families. It's just the truth of it. I mean, like it or not. But the cool thing is, as we read the Bible and we get to look at those dysfunctional families and we get to see the way God works in the midst of that dysfunction and still loves them, 
It's very encouraging for those of us who bring some dysfunction into our parenting, right? That we can go, okay, there's hope. Even in the midst of my mess, God can do something good out of this. So it's, it's pretty cool to see. The other thing that we see in the Bible is we see Jesus come along and he doesn't specifically talk about parent. He, he wasn't a parent. We didn't get to watch him parent. He doesn't, he doesn't teach on it directly, but he does give us the goal of parenting, the best goal of parenting, when he gives us the best goal for life. He comes along and he says this. He says, a new command I give you. A new command. We're like, well, we got commands. Like, we got lots of those, right? Lots of rules that we're supposed to follow. And now all of a sudden you're saying, a new command I give you. Well, what is it? He says, love one another. New command I give you, love one another. And you're like, okay, three words, that's pretty easy, but that is a lot. So can you unpack that a little bit for us, Jesus? And he goes on and he says this. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's, that's the standard for what our love should look like, is the same love he has for us. And like I say, we don't get to watch Jesus' parents, so we don't have that example, and he doesn't teach on it. But, but Paul, in his letters, he starts to unpack what love looks like, and he, and he does that throughout his, his letters to different congregations. And in his letter to the, the, the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, he actually gives us maybe the most famous handles that we have to try to figure out what love is supposed to look like, how we're supposed to reach that goal. We could call them Paul's love handles. You can run with that, whatever you want. So he's got these love handles, and they're probably the ones that you are the most familiar with. And last week, George started with the love handle of love is patient. And he talked about how important it is. Work, like I said, working with different generations to be patient, but also as parents, being a patient parent is, is the biggest goal, right? Just to be patient through it all. Um, so this morning, what I want to do is I want to run through the rest of the things that Paul gives us in this list. So we're going to just blitz through and, and just kind of see what else Paul has to say about love and how that might apply to parenting. So the next one is love is kind. Love is kind. Kindness is an expression of strength. Think about that. Kindness is an expression of strength. And if, you, if you're like, I'm not sure I agree with that, think about the opposite. I'm going to say it the opposite way. Unkindness is a sign of weakness. When you're unkind, it's a sign of your weakness. Here's, here's, a, here's another way to put this. Kindness is offering someone your strength instead of highlighting their weakness. Maybe you're good at something. You're, you're, you're just, maybe you're organized and you're good at that, right? And, and you're like looking at somebody else and they're like, they're not organized. And you could point that out, right? Ah, oh, man, how terribly, you guys, you're just terrible at this. Or you could be kind. And being kind means coming along and offering your strength without highlighting their weakness. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. Kindness is offering your strength without highlighting their weakness. Parents, let me tell you, your words weigh 500 pounds. They're, they're just heavier than anybody else's words. And because of that, we have to be very careful about what we say and how we say it, that those words would come out in a way that is kind. And that's hard in the midst of parenting, right? When I learned to drive, my parents had a 
um, a full-size conversion van. Remember the full-size conversion vans that had like a paint thing on the outside that kind of decorated them up and had like four passenger or captain's chairs and then the back bench, right? And so they're full-size. And they let me drive that as a 16-year-old, which is crazy to me that they would allow me to do that. So I drove that all over. And my dad had wired in a speaker underneath the hood uh, a horn speaker, and he had wired it to the CB radio and had also wired in like a little thing that had pre-programmed songs in it. And you could play the little songs and it would just play a, play a song. So I'd load up my friends and we'd go driving through neighborhoods and we'd hit Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and it'd be like, you know, playing out through the neighborhood and all these kids would come running out with their fistfuls of money ready to see the ice cream man <laughs> drive right on by. You know, that was, that was, did you guys not do stuff like that? Okay, so maybe it wasn't the most kind thing. The, uh, the other thing that we would do is um, he had hooked it to the CB, so it, it actually worked as a PA system. You could actually use the, the CB microphone and say, you know, whatever to, to the world. And so I'd be having my friends in the car, and we'd just, like, I'd poke fun at different people in the car. They were my friends, right? So you'd be like, oh, you know, Brad likes Kristen, you know, you know broadcasting that, and he's embarrassed, and he's crawling underneath the dash, and, you know, or, or hey, um, you know, Kelsey has to go to the bathroom. Anybody got a bathroom she can use, you know, as you're driving up? and down housing streets. So we would have a lot of fun with it. But one night we were driving around and there, uh, it had rained before this and it just muddy everywhere. And there was this one section of road in this town. It was just right in the middle of a subdivision, which is kind of weird. But, but for two blocks, they had never paved that road. So it was paved on both sides, but not paved in the middle. And after a torrential rain, it was just a mud all over the place. And, uh, you know, I decided that it'd be a smart thing to drive down that little section of road. And it, I didn't get about halfway, and then all of a sudden it just sunk all the way over the, the running boards of the van. So I'm just like, I buried the van. It's almost coming in the doors. And it's like, oh, no, now I've got to call my dad. Oh, boy. What's this? It's 10 o'clock at night. I've got to call my dad and tell him I've sunk the van. You know, what, you, know, you know what words my dad said to me when I made that phone call and told him what happened? He said, okay, so what are you going to do about it? I'm like, okay. My dad didn't yell at me. He didn't go, what were you doing there? What, how, it, how dumb of you? I can't believe that you, know, you would do this. He just he trusted me to try to figure out what the next answer was, and he was there for me. He lent me his strength, which in this case was his AAA membership, right? <laughs> lent me his strength, right? Um, which he had already paid for, right? So uh, instead of highlighting my weakness, isn't that what Jesus did for us, right? He, he, he lent us his strength, which he already paid for by dying on a cross for our sins instead of highlighting our weaknesses, that's the type of parenting we need to do. That's the type of parent we want to be. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Offer your children your strength without highlighting their weaknesses because love is kind. Now let's move on. Love doesn't envy or boast and is not proud. Love allows the other person to shine. Love is not threatened by someone else's success. If you don't feel good about yourself, it's hard to allow somebody else to feel good about themselves, even your kids. And so sometimes parents end up making their kids feel bad about themselves only because the parent doesn't feel good about themselves either. 
And we've got to get to the point that we're not comparing each other. We're not, we're not trying to be someone we're not, that we're, we're, we're content with who we are so that we can also allow our kids to shine. This is why there is no room in parenting for sarcasm. The reason is your words weigh too much. They, you're, you're putting your kids into a situation where there's a sarcasm war, and you will always win the sarcasm war. And love is not about winning, right? So we need to be careful about your words. Be careful what you say. Next, love does not dishonor others. This one's huge. Jesus lifts us up and he gives us value even though we've all messed up, right? We've all messed up. None of us are worthy of it. And so for us, what we have to do is learn to do the same thing to others, that we would give people value, that we would honor them, even if we don't see that value, that we would honor them anyway. Romans 12.10 says it this way, honor one another above yourself. We should honor people. We should put them first. Therefore, we need to teach our children what it looks like to honor. We need to teach them to honor us as parents, right? You as a parent, that, that they should honor their siblings, which is so hard, right? Honor your sibling, even though sometimes you're like, I don't know if they have any worth at all. It's like, yes, honor your siblings. There is, there's value there. And we need to teach them to honor everyone else. Um, this is caught more than it's taught. You can, you can try to explain this all day long, but they're going to actually watch what you do and they're either going to catch it or not from what you do. Um, if you aren't good at honoring your spouse, they see that. If you're not good at honoring your boss, they see that. Your neighbor, other people in your life, maybe you talk bad about them behind them and they can tell that there's not honor there and honor is not a value, they see that. And then they go, okay, honor must not be important. We show them how valuable honor is. You know, where I've seen honor be really hard is in a divorce situation, divorced parents. It's hard because already there's animosity, there's division, right, that has taken place there. And a lot of times parents live that out in front of their kids and their kids see dishonor. And then they start to go, okay, that must be the way it is. Be careful. Be careful, parent, what you say about the other parent. Because if they see you dishonoring, they learn that dishonor is okay, and you're going to reap the benefit or the, 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 you're going to find out what that's like yourself. Would you rather have kids who obey you, or would you rather have kids who honor you? Would you rather have kids who obey you, or would you rather have kids that honor you? Think about it this way. Would you rather have a friendship? Would you rather have a marriage, a spouse? Would you rather have uh, relationships with other people where they honor you, or would you rather have them obey you? Well, the, the thing is, when you unpack it, o- obedience is a low level to achieve. Because if people honor you, you don't have to worry about whether they obey you, Right? It doesn't matter as much whether they obey you because they're going to value the things that you value. They're going to honor you in the things that they do. But if they only aim for obedience, if that's your goal as a parent is to have obedient kids, the problem is there are loopholes. There are workarounds, and they will find them. 
right? You said be home at 10 o'clock. You didn't say 10 p.m., right? So they come up with all types. You said take out the trash. You didn't say I had to take it all the way to the curb, right? And you're like, really? Like, do I really have to explain? Do I have to have a rule that tells you everything? Yes, you do. If you're aiming at obedience, you have to have a rule that covers everything. But if you aim at honor, you don't. If you aim at honor, the relationship is more valuable for everybody. The honor is where relationships actually take place. It's, it's, it's the mutually satisfying relationship always has honor. We tend to discipline for the three Ds. Three Ds are dishonesty, disrespect, and disobedience. And those are good. It, it, it makes sense that we would discipline for these things. But why do we discipline for these things? Why are those the things we choose? And the reason is because these, these, three, these three things all dishonor someone else. If you're dishonest, you're not honoring the other person, right? You're lying to them. That's not honoring them. If you're disrespectful, you're not honoring them. If you're disobedient, you're not honoring them. We, we discipline for these because they all break a relationship. They all dishonor someone else. So here's the thing. If dishonesty, disrespect, and disobedience dishonor another person, what should the goal of your discipline be? What should the goal of your discipline be? A relationship has been damaged, so restoration of the relationship should be the goal of the discipline. Discipline your children in the direction of relationship restoration. If there isn't a goal for your discipline, you know what it is? It's just punishment. That's all you're doing. You're just punishing your kids. Well, the problem with punishing your kids is it, it doesn't make anybody better. It only makes them better at trying to avoid getting caught next time, right? So they get better at that. That's the only thing it does. It doesn't make them better. In fact, it has the potential to make them bitter, right? So if you're only aiming at punishment, you're selling yourself short. Aim at discipline. You, look at the word discipline. Disciple. Your goal as a parent, my goal as a parent, I wish somebody had told me this before I ever started, my goal as a parent was not to punish kids to keep them from doing bad things. My goal as a parent was to disciple them so that they would do the right thing, right? That's the goal of discipline. And in this case, we know that a broken relationship has occurred, and I want to disciple them in the art of relationship restoration, I want to show them how you restore broken relationships where we've damaged something and we need to come along and know how to fix it. That's, that's the art of relationship restoration. And for many of us, we're not very good at it. We're just, we're not, as, as individuals, we're just not good at relationship restoration. Here's, here's a truth for you. I'm going to give you some handholds for those of you, whether you're a parent or not. This is good relationship restoration stuff, and it's great stuff to teach your kids. So the next thing here, let's say sorry is not an apology. Sorry is not even a complete sentence, right? Sorry, when you say, okay, apologize to your sister. Sorry. Now, was that what we were trying to teach them, that they would do that, right? Sorry needs to be a complete sentence. And we need to learn this as adults, and we need to teach our kids this, that, that sorry needs a pronoun to go with it, and sorry needs an adjective phrase to go with it to try to unpack it so it's not just a word. So we say, 
I'm sorry I knocked your blocks over. I'm sorry I was disrespectful. I'm sorry I, right? And you fill in the blank. We need to have a complete sentence when we say we're sorry or it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to you and it doesn't mean anything to them and therefore it never restores the relationship. And then here's the the kicker and this is what your kids will hate and you may hate this too in your relationships is to follow it with this phrase. Is there anything I can do to make it up to you? I'm sorry I whatever. Is there anything I can do to make it up to you? That's the art of relationship restoration is coming alongside somebody and going, you mean more to me than, than my pride or whatever in this mistake. I would rather fix this. Tell me how I'd like to fix this. I, I, I want to make it right with you. Now, I can tell you a phrase not to use. I learned this stuff from firsthand experience, so maybe you've learned it too. I don't know why you're still upset. I said I was sorry, right? That belittles the pain that you caused. That, that says... I, I, I don't know why this is such a big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal. Like, it's your problem, not mine, right? Don't use that phrase. Let's become experts at honoring each other and restoring relationships, and let's disciple our kids in that direction. Next, love is not self-seeking or easily angered. The word angered here, the Greek word that is being used, actually means stirred up. And it's, it's like a cooking term. And so when you're cooking, you might have things that have settled in the... In, in the so like yesterday, I was making soup, and I, I don't make soup. Like I can, I can put like the pan on the stove, and I can take soup that's already been made, and I can throw it into the thing, and I can turn on the thing. And I know that I should stir it, right? First of all, because it's all in layers, and you don't want to have it. You don't want to eat it like that. You want to mix it back up again, um, and then you don't want it to burn, right? So as I'm stirring it on the stove... I'm not adding anything to it. I've added nothing to the pot. I'm just stirring it. I'm just bringing stuff that's on the bottom and I'm bringing it up to the top. When we're angered, we've been stirred up. Have your kids ever stirred you up? Has your spouse ever stirred you up? Have you ever been stirred up? We we like to say, well, you made me angry. Nobody makes you angry. All they do is they stir up what is already in you. And so James, Jesus' brother, he comes along later and he unpacks this and he, and he says this in his letter. He says, oh yeah, it's caused by our self-seekingness, sorry. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a great question. James is like, hey, by the way, what, why do you guys fight with each other? Like, what's, what's going on there? What, what causes that? And then he answers it with a question. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Isn't that where it really comes from? Isn't that really why you fight? And then he goes on to say this. You desire, but you do not have. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. The reality is we get angry because of the self-seekingness in us. Because we, we want something and we didn't get it. And, and we get mad. We wanted peace and quiet. We didn't get it, right? We, we, we wanted you to do what I told you the first time, and you didn't do it. Like, that makes me mad, right? Because it's stirring up stuff inside of me. And so we need to realize the part in this tension that we're bringing to the table, that we're actually causing some of this 
in the midst of what's going on there. And we need to own our part of it. Maybe it's something like this. You know why I'm really angry? You know why I'm really angry right now? I'm really angry because, because of me. You ever do that? It's because of me. It's really, it's really because of me. It's because of my own selfishness. It's because I'm not getting what I want. Own the piece of the pie that you're bringing to the table so that you can work at the art of relationship restoration. Love recognizes what is really going on in that moment, and love owns it and, and then works at restoration. Our kids need to learn how to react when someone stirs their pot because it's going to happen, right? They learn it from their siblings and everywhere else, right? They need to learn how do you handle relationship restoration. All right, this last thing. When love is not self-seeking, it will not be easily angered. And we'll move on to the next one. Love keeps no records of wrongs. There is no win in reminding our kids of their past failures. There's no win in that. It, it, there's no benefit. It doesn't, it doesn't help them, right? You've been reminded before of your past failures. Did it do you any good? Was it like, oh, thank you. Thank you for telling me. I forgot that I had you know, failed at that. I appreciate you bringing that back up. It never works. In fact, our best play as parents is forgiving and pretending to forget. And I say pretending to forget because we, we don't forget, right? We don't forget that they damaged your, your car or whatever. They, we don't forget. But it's better if we forgive and pretend to forget. Let's let that be. That's, that's already gone. All right, next. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love loves to catch people doing the right thing and does not delight in pointing out the wrong things. This is why, as your kids get older, you should never announce a punishment ahead of time. Now, think about that. As they get older, never announce a punishment ahead of time. Instead, when they do something that is dishonorable, when they do something that's disobedient, um, act shocked. Well, I... I just, I never, I never thought about this. I never thought that we'd deal with this. Let me think about this for a little bit. I'm not sure what, what we should do in this situation. And then let it rest for just a little bit. Like, like leave them hanging. They'll hate it, right? They'll hate it because they, they're like, what, what's my punishment? Well, you know what? Let me think about that for a couple days. We just need to make sure that we get the punishment that fits that appropriately and we want to, to, to disciple you in the right way it's going to take a while so leave them hanging for it and then they'll hope you forgot don't forget right don't forget and then be creative like let, now that your anger has subsided you're not in the moment now be creative how can i disciple them toward relationship restoration in this moment what needs to happen that might disciple them in the way that we need them to go so don't, don't rush to it. Now, when kids are little, it's different. When kids are like preschool age, you, you got to discipline them right away because they aren't able to connect the dots, right? You've got to be able to connect the dots for them. You did this. This is the punishment. But as they get older, let it stew for a little bit. Let it just rest. Let, it, let them worry about it for a while. Calm down. Think it through. And then disciple them. Next, love always protects. Love always protects. It's hard to know how to protect our kids without overprotecting our kids. And you've seen that, right? You've seen people that don't protect enough, and you've seen people who you're like, oh my word, helicopter parent, right? You're like, what are you doing? You're way too protective. And so it's a tough balance, and here's the reality of it. 
none of us are going to get this right. We're just not going to get that balance perfect. But I would encourage you to err on the side of protection. Err on the side of protecting your kid. Um, Because they need that protection and you will save them from so much later. Um, My parents, I'm so thankful for the balance that they played in that. They trusted me, but they also protected me. And I think about the... The, the scars that I avoided and the pain that I avoided because they protected me. And your kids may hate you for a season, for a, a while, but that protection is worth it. And plus, it's always easier to give freedoms later to say, okay, you know what, we're going to loosen this up and here's some freedom, you've got this new freedom, than it is to take those freedoms back. So be conservative at how you do that and protect. Here's the truth of it. Parents who seek the approval of their children over and above what is best for their children end up with neither approval or what is best. That's something to chew on. And then finally, let's go to the last one. Love always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Parent toward a healthy relationship with your children. Would you rather, think about this, would you rather have perfectly obedient children while they're growing up and then they have no relationship with you when when they grow up and become an adult? Or would you rather have children that occasionally keep you up at night, occasionally keep you worrying and you're having to kind of figure out, you know, it's a little struggle to parent, but for the rest of their lives, you have a relationship with your kids? I mean, that's a no-brainer, Right? And here's the amazing thing. That's what God has done for us. He is more concerned about the long-term relationship with you than he is about you being obedient every moment. He knows you're going to fail. He knows I'm going to fail. Yet he, he has made it in such a way that he actually announced forgiveness ahead of time and then said, okay, now I trust you, do this, but just know what I really want from you is a long-term relationship. That's what I'm going for. That's what we should do as well. Aim for future influence and a future healthy relationship. I want to discipline my children in such a way and disciple my children in such a way that they no longer need me, but I'd like them to still like me. I'd like them to still like being with me. That when they have the choice and they no longer have to be around me, that, they, that they're cool being around me and they're cool being around each other. That my, my kids like each other. That's the goal. Remember that your behavior will determine if your kids like you. George said this last week. Your behavior, not your words, your behavior will determine whether your kids like you or want to be like you. Right? So make sure that we are watching our behavior. Let's, let's all work at applying these love handles that Paul gives us, applying these things in our lives so that our kids will be discipled in that same way, that they would learn to love the way that Jesus calls us to and the way that Paul unpacks for us here. After all, the most significant thing you do may not be something you do, It may be someone you raise. That may be your longest lasting impact in the world. So let's make sure we work at that and be intentional about it. Now here's the reality is, 
we're going to get it wrong. And I'm hearing this stuff late, and I'm going, oh, my word, you know, how many times have I messed this up? And nobody told me there was supposed to be a goal to discipline. I thought I was just supposed to, you know, punish to change behavior. I thought that was it. Maybe you're like me, right? The cool thing is, the amazing thing is, we have a heavenly Father who will get it right. He loves us beyond belief. And he offers that forgiveness. He, he offers us his strength, which is his forgiveness that he already paid for ahead of time. And he doesn't highlight our weakness. He just asks us to accept that. Some of you may be, be, may be here and you have not accepted his forgiveness. You've not allowed him to wash away your sins. To allow him to claim you as his child and say, I've got you. I want a long-term relationship with you. If that's you, let's talk about it today. I'm, I'm going to hang out back over here behind, behind this uh, section. Come talk to me. Let's, let's talk about what it means to accept him as our Savior, as our Lord, and let him give us the worth that he's already shown us. We're going to take this time as well during this next song, and we're going to take communion. There's tables at the back of the room, four sections here, and there's two cups stacked up together, and as you pick up the two cups, bread's in the bottom one, juice is in the top one. You just separate them, and, and, and you'll have the bread and the cup as you, as you just remember the price that he paid so that we would be forgiven. Let me pray for you. Father God, I am so thankful for the parents in the room, for the people who are acting as parents, filling in as parents, grandparents who are raising kids, aunts and uncles who are playing that part, and friends that are coming alongside parents. I'm so thankful for the role they play in discipling this next generation. God, I'm thankful for this next generation. I'm thankful for what you're doing in them, the, the hope that you, you show through them. God, I, I can't wait to see what you accomplish in your church through this next generation. God, may you be lifted up and may your love be proclaimed everywhere. Help us to go out and show people that love. Show them how much they are loved by us and ultimately loved by you. God, that's our prayer. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Turn his face toward you 
I just need a reminder that he's for me. And so we, every Sunday, we end with a blessing. Um, and what better way to do that than with the song called The Blessing. So with that, um, we love you all. Come back. We'd love to see you again, 930 or 11, in person or online, um, on the dot com. 
and um, just have a great rest of your Sunday. We love y'all.